You're listening to the Connecticut Real Estate Edge podcast, your source for tips and tricks on building wealth through real estate in Connecticut. You will get the best techniques from leading local experts in real estate and lending. Now, here's your host, Robert Weinberg. Good Saturday morning to everybody and welcome to the Mortgage Matters Radio Show and the Connecticut Real Estate Edge podcast. Along with Rob Weinberg, I'm Gary Byron. Hey, good to see you, my friend. Good to see you, Gary. How's it going today? You know, I'm doing my best to hang in there over here, man. You know, every day, I take it one day at a time. Um, You know what it's like. I know. Every day, it's a new challenge, right? Are these, and I'm speaking relatively, are these tough days in your industry? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah. You know, I... I look at it on an individual level mm-hmm. to me and I, and I've had this thought many times whether we're in like a huge boom of business or things are relatively slow my daily success plan is the same I'm doing the same activities every day no matter what the market's doing I don't care what the rates are doing what real estate I have the same kind of regimen will if you will yeah. that I go through every single day so yeah you know I look on online message boards and things like that where a lot of mortgage loan officers hang out online I'm in a lot of groups right and I uh, for the most part I don't really chime in much because I'm busy but I see the rhetoric going on. I see the mentality of a lot of colleagues, both real estate and mortgage, and it's rough out there right what now. What is really what are those rough. words then? Share that. Uh, just you know, we came off these record setting years. We came off these years that was beyond anyone's expectations of volume for new clients, right? Mm-hmm. And then we got like slapped in the face in twenty twenty two with the interest rates just catastrophically increasing, I think a lot of people would say, right? So because we saw this huge boom and then kind of a, I don't want to say a bust, but when it comes to clients, most mortgage companies are down 50 to 80 percent year over That many, huh? Yeah. And I heard a statistic recently on one of the podcasts that I listened to uh, for mortgage loan officers, and I believe it said something like 20 percent of the industry is plans to leave in the next year. So they're already having problems, they're already seeing that decrease in income, and they're now looking at other, you know, other options, other opportunities. What do you mean? They're going to another industry. They're going to sell cars. They're going to be in tech or IT. They're going to tech sales. You know, there's a lot of um, artificial intelligence jobs out there now. I've seen tons. Like, there's all these new industries that are up and coming that are, there's a lot of opportunity. And, um... For someone that was used to making, you know, a high six-figure income, maybe now is not doing as well, they're looking at other options and opportunities. I love it. Like, this to me is the best time because I get to gain market share. All the clients they would work with that they're now leaving the industry, those clients need to be serviced. They need an advisor, right? So someone like myself that's been through multiple cycles, like this is at least my third, maybe fourth now since I started in the industry. And every time it's this boom and bust and people leave and then there's a lot more business for everyone that's left because this too shall pass, right? We're just in this time we're in this time uh, block here that's not good for the industry. But that doesn't mean that a year from now, two years from now, I even think back to 2020, March of 2020, it was doom and gloom. 
Okay, the real estate market was going to be crashing. Nobody wanted to take a mortgage because they didn't even know if they'd have a job. You couldn't leave your home in March, April of 2020. But the industry shut down. People weren't going to open houses. Real estate shut down. Then all of a sudden, what happened, though? What happened in June, July, August of 2020? The real estate market all of a sudden just took off like a rocket ship, right? Nobody was prepared. Nobody was ready. All these people needed mortgages, both to buy and refinance homes. We weren't prepared. So then it was like there was a lot of growing pains at that time. People had to staff up, hire new people. Like we had to get ready. And all those people got fired in the last year. All those people that brought they brought in to help with this volume, they're all gone now. There's no money to pay them. So there's a lot of layoffs that have been happening in mortgage and real estate. I think before the show, you even mentioned of a bank that merged or went out of business. So it's happening all the time wow. through the industry. And I'm just happy to get out the other side alive because there's a really great thing at the end of the rainbow. Here. Somebody listening to this right now, whether they are an existing client of yours or they're preparing themselves to be calling you um how do you reassure them that you're not going anywhere that you're gonna weather this storm with them no that's a good question i mean first of all i'm 39 years old okay the average mortgage originator, I believe, is in their 50s, like on the way out. I'm not going anywhere. I have a two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, so I'm staying. I don't mean necessarily leaving the industry because you're, right, you're not ready to retire yet, but at 39. Um, but who's to say that you couldn't move uh, where – Florida, it's booming with homes. You oh, know? You're course. from Florida. Yeah, I'm from you know? there, and you know – I'm, I work mainly remotely, so I am working with clients in Florida by homes. I am working with clients in Massachusetts. You know, they may not be local, but we're still processing and doing their mortgage as if they're right here in the same state or area. So I guess to answer your question there and reassure is my experience, you know, over 20 years in the industry, I can tell you I'm not going anywhere. I have time left. I have more I want to accomplish, more people I want to help. You know, for me, it's not about the paycheck anymore. I mean, we can make a good living in the industry, but we stopped doing and looking at that years ago. Now it's about how many more families can we help? How much more of an impact can we make? You know, especially locally. Again, do business in other areas, but especially locally is really where we're going to make that big impact. And like to me. I'm somebody that never quits, meaning if you bring me on, if I'm going to be part of your team, if I'm going to be on your yeah. on your side, I don't care if I'm making $10 on that deal or $10,000. It does not matter to me. I am going to hell and back to get that loan for you. I mean, literally, I'm on the phone at 6 a.m. I'm on the phone at 8 p.m., whatever it takes. I'm not leaving any stone unturned. So, like, yeah, you may have an easy loan scenario. You may have a tough loan scenario. It doesn't matter. You know, I'm trying to get you to that finish line. Sometimes it takes more effort than others. Sometimes we get very close to the finish line and a roadblock gets put in. Mm. You know, that to me, that's when I thrive, you know, up against that sort of stress. So I would tell you whether you're hiring a, a lawyer, a real estate agent, a mortgage pro, an insurance professional, you need a pit bull to go and get the goods, right? You need someone to get on your side and bring it home to you. And I I can't speak for everyone else, but I can tell you if you're dealing with me and my pros, the people that I recommend as professionals in real estate, mortgage, insurance, et cetera, you're getting the top. You're getting, you know, not an amateur, not someone who just started, not someone who's iffy or doesn't know, but someone who's committed, you know, someone who's motivated and confident to get it done. I just wanted to ask you to kind of clear that up because, you know, you bring up it's an interesting topic and people want to be reassured that 
You're not going anywhere. You, well, I think that's important also in the context of the tougher loans, right? People that have been denied before. People that have had credit challenges, you know, oh, which is the topic of today's and, cl- show. Yeah. Bankruptcy, short sale, foreclosures. Um, these are very, very common challenges people go through at some time in their life, right? How do you overcome that? How do you go from a credit event, a credit challenge like that, a major hurdle to actually buying or refinancing a home? That's what I want to dive into because I've had a lot of inquiries, some by email, some by phone of people saying, hey, I filed bankruptcy a year ago or I had a foreclosure a couple years back, you know, but I've got my stuff together now. I'm back on the horse financially. How can I get a mortgage? How can I overcome this? If someone's gone through a bankruptcy or a foreclosure, though, that's got to impact their ability to get a mortgage right now. Big time. It always has. It always will. Because, you know, we we did a whole show on credit recently and we talked about kind of generic credit stuff. But when you really get into the weeds on this, the worst case scenario, if you neglect your credit and your obligations, is a bankruptcy, a foreclosure or a short sale. Like that's pretty. Those are the worst things that can happen to you. Right. So significant impact, because when an underwriter or loan officer is looking, it's like this person committed the cardinal sin. Right. This person completely let go of their financial obligations to the point where they had a credit event. That's what we call this in the mortgage or real estate industry is a credit event. So when you have this, it's ne- you know it's not just something saying you had a short sale. No, there's a lot that happens leading up to that, right? So there's all these negative marks that come up on your credit. You don't just one day wake up and say, I'm, I have a short sale. It's months, typically months and months of neglected mortgage payments, mortgages being behind, which has a negative impact on your credit report. Um, and when you have any of these challenges, there's going to be a cautiousness that's going to be taken by the lender, right? There's going to be additional requirements because it's like you screwed up. Like, let's just call it what it is. If you have a credit event, whether it was a year ago or five years ago, you have this blemish on your record. So the idea is how do we overcome this and show that lender? How do we show them that this was temporary? How do we show them that this was an isolated one-time event? And that it's been overcome. And, you know, not to get ahead of ourselves, but a major thing is like, why did it happen? What's the story behind the credit event? Medical issue, job loss, death in the family, right? Those are main ones that happen. If we can really paint that picture and tell the story as to what happened and why it won't happen again, it really sets the Okay, stage. let's say that something like that happened. Let's say there was a, a you know, a, a setback, any of the, what you just mentioned. How long... What's the waiting period? How long will it actually take for them to be able to even qualify for a mortgage? Right. So this is where there's a lot of myths and there's a lot of misconceptions specifically. So I will tell you that there's a lot of people out there that contact me that have had a credit event and think, okay, I'm never going to be able to get a mortgage again. Or the common timeline I'll hear is seven to ten years. I can't get a mortgage for seven to 10 years. So let me put that aside and let me set the stage in telling you exactly each loan program and what the timeline is. Now, these can change where it's mid 2023. If you're listening to this in 2024 or beyond, you know, this these numbers may change that I'm giving you. So check with your advisor. But as of right now, in mid 2023, on a conventional mortgage, if you had a bankruptcy like a chapter seven or a chapter 11, you have a four year waiting period. 
Okay, four years. So it's not seven like a lot of people think or even 10, but only four. And that's a chapter seven or 11. Then if you have a chapter 13 bankruptcy, it's only a two year. What's a chapter 13? It's just a different type of bankruptcy. So I'm not a bankruptcy attorney. I don't know the exact differences between a chapter 7, 11, or 13. But what I can tell you is when you're getting a loan, the chapter 13 is by far like the least of a problem. It's the most lenient, right? So again, two years from the discharge date on the chapter 13. That's for conventional mortgages. Now on a VA or FHA loan, it's only a two-year waiting period for chapter 7 or 11 and only one year on chapter 13. So you can see we've talked in other episodes about government loans and why they're so great. Perfect example. You can buy a home at least a year sooner using a government loan after for, or after bankruptcy than you could on a conventional. Then on, uh, like I said, VA, same thing. Uh, chapter 13, one year. And then USDA. USDA loans, those are a little bit more uh, specific. So three years Three years on the Chapter 7 and one year on the Chapter 13 with the USDA. Okay, Chapter 7, I believe, is bankruptcy protection um, where I think everything is frozen and, nobody, and, and where they, nobody can come after you if you owe them money. Chapter 11, I believe, is full-blown bankruptcy. Okay. If I remember from well, back in my business days. Well, I tell everyone when it comes to this, some our listeners today have probably either already filed bankruptcy or will be soon. So I don't know the differences, but check with your bankruptcy attorney. Are for there sure. any proactive steps that you can take, you know, ahead of time to better qualify after? You, yeah, that you period? need to reestablish yourself, and we'll talk about you know how to do that here in a second but finishing on the last question the foreclosure timelines are going to be seven years unconventional so if you filed a foreclosure you are going to have to wait seven years from the completion date of the foreclosure it's not when they started the foreclosure it's when it was completed the property was sold and to to document that we'll typically get a copy of the statement that you get when the home is sold you know a, a settlement statement that'll have the date on it so seven years from completion date for conventional va is going to be two years after foreclosure fha and usda are both going to be three years after foreclosure so step back and think about that you foreclosed on a home and 36 months later you're able to buy another home Okay, some people would say that's crazy, you know, and conventional thinks that's crazy. That's why they make it a seven year. But these government loans have a place, like we've said. So that's important. Short sale, deed in lieu and foreclosure. Those are handled the same conventionals four years from the completion date. FHA is three years. VA is two years. USDA also three years. Um, Side note here, there are some non-qualified mortgages, some private investors that will do loans with even a year or less outside of bankruptcy or foreclosure. Obviously, you have to put a ton of money down. High interest rate. Obviously, you're going to pay a very high interest rate. But if you're in an emergency scenario where you need to, don't. You know, put that out. Talk to a mortgage broker or a lender that understands the non-qualified mortgages because those have the guidelines where they basically make it up themselves because they don't sell those loans. They portfolio those loans. So they're able to do a little bit more leniency on the uh, on the guidelines. But going back to the requirements uh, that you or excuse me, the help that you can give yourself to kind of get back on your feet after one of these credit events, the reestablishment and rebuilding your credit. So when an underwriter looks at it and sees, hey, you had a foreclosure three years ago, what has happened in the three years since? What have you done? 
What a lot of people do, which is the wrong thing to do, is they do nothing with their credit. They say, I got screwed by those bankers. Those creditors wronged me. I'm not doing anything anymore with any debt. I'm just staying out of debt. Unfortunately, that's not going to help you get a mortgage in the future. That's the worst thing you could do. There's no reestablishment. What they want to see, if you want to, quote unquote, hack the system, what they want to see is as soon as that bankruptcy was over and completed and done, they want to see that you move to reestablishing your credit. You took out a small credit card and started paying that every month, reestablishing. Maybe you got an auto loan, started reestablishing there. They want to see that mix of credit. You don't have to go crazy. Even just one or two trade lines that you're keeping up every single month that you're paying is good reestablishment. But so many, more often than not, people come and say, hey, I filed this bankruptcy or foreclosure, and I look at the credit. There's nothing since. They just completely kind of shut it off. So you don't want to do that. The other thing is you want to use the time to prepare yourself financially, meaning your down payment, right? Your income. Get your finances in order because generally that can help offset that lower credit. You have that low credit. You have that bankruptcy, foreclosure, short sale, but you're putting 10% down, 20% down. All of a sudden, it's like, wow, this person's got some skin in the game. Yeah, they had some problems before, but they've saved their money well, right? Over this last couple of years, they've been able to put this down payment together. They've been able to switch jobs to better paying, whatever it may be that can really paint that picture of They had this problem and they've moved on from it, right? That's what we're looking for is to help you build off that clean slate. So that part is definitely crucial to rebuilding afterwards and getting ready for that mortgage process. I didn't even know you could even get a credit card or a a car loan after declaring bankruptcy. So, you know. Wow. I don't I don't issue credit cards. Obviously, I'm not someone that does that lending, but I can tell you from dealing with hundreds of clients that have been through this over the years – you are definitely able to get credit cards and auto loans after bankruptcy. Yes, you might pay a higher interest rate, right? Of course. Um, With the credit cards, a big secret is the secured credit lines. So they don't want to give you an unsecured credit line because you have a history of not doing well Hmm. paying these back, right? But they will give you a secured credit line if you put up, say, $500. They might give you a credit line to to match that say four or five hundred dollars because then if you don't pay pay that money back they can take your money right they've got it in the bank so that's called secured credit lines there's also certain credit card issuers that actually specialize and have specific credit cards for people coming out of a bankruptcy or something like that to help them reestablish so check around with that um definitely definitely something for you to keep in mind and build while you can because by the time you think you need it it might be too late you're talking about chapter 7 chapter 11 chapter 13 how does the type of bankruptcy affect the mortgage approval process Right. So the Chapter 7 bankruptcy requires the longest waiting period. Um, That's just the way it is, no matter what loan you're getting. While Chapter 13 allows a faster recovery if you've been making consistent payments. So what I've seen a lot with Chapter 13 is if we can show that you've been making these consistent payments with a payment history and you've been like fulfilling the obligation, it's much easier to get a loan through you know, that scenario on a chapter 13. So like if you have the ability to choose one or the other and you're 
consulting with your bankruptcy attorney on what to do, mm-hmm. I would definitely go to the 13 no matter what because that's going to give you just a much quicker recovery period as far as that goes. Um, but just realize that like any bankruptcy, a bankruptcy is a bankruptcy, but obviously, like we're saying, there's different levels. So just keep that in mind and know your timeline. So if you are filing the bankruptcy, don't say, oh, well, that's three years out. I'm not going to start working on it now. Let's talk. Let's collaborate. Let's get your plan together. So over that couple of years, you can get yourself into a really good position instead of stressing out last minute, right? Gotcha. Are there any options or maybe even, I don't know, like loan programs that are available for those who with bankruptcies or foreclosures or short sales? Yeah. So, you know, the best I shouldn't say the best loan, but the preferred loan for the average homebuyer refinancing candidate is going to be a conventional loan, right? That's the preferred loan. Unfortunately, as you're hearing in our discussion today, the conventional loan is the worst one when you come out of a bankruptcy, yeah. right? So unfortunately, we kind of have to put that one aside if you're only a year, couple years out. By far, the government loans are where it's at, these government-backed mortgages. You're seeing FHA, VA, USDA. <laughs> they all have these low, lenient requirements where you can get in these loans two, three, four years out of bankruptcy or foreclosure. So the strategy that I use with most clients that are, that are using these for the reasons we're discussing is get your home or let's refinance your home using the government-backed mortgage. It might cost a little bit more upfront to get that loan because of the upfront PMI or whatnot. But the idea is just to keep this loan until you would qualify for the conventional mortgage, right? So conventional mortgage, say, a four-year waiting period, FHA, two-year waiting period. Let's get your FHA loan at two years. And then two years later, when you've actually had four years out of the bankruptcy, then let's go ahead and move forward with the actual conventional refinancing. That's what we really need to do is look at that conventional after a year or two, or excuse me, after the the seasoning period, depending on the loan program. So it's a two-step process for sure, but government loans are going to be step one, and then long-term is going to be that conventional loan to refi. Well, how about the role of credit score? How do, what does that play in getting a mortgage after bankruptcy and foreclosures. So naturally, when you try to get a mortgage after foreclosure, bankruptcy, or short sale, your score is going to be low. It's going to be a lot lower because almost exclusively you're going to have a bunch of late payments on your mortgage. You're going to have a bunch of negative notations on your mortgage. Uh, So that's going to have a negative impact on your credit score. So if you are in a lucky position where your credit score is over 620 and you're out of bankruptcy, foreclosure, or short sale, then you know what? You might be able to qualify for a mortgage. But obviously, the higher your credit score is, the better. So you want to isolate the issues that happened on your credit. Was it all your accounts went behind? Was it one account that went behind, obviously the less accounts that had delinquency, the better your credit score is going to be. So don't be someone who just lets everything go and creates a problem because that's going to hurt your score even more. If you do have to go behind on something or let something go, make it one account or two accounts. Don't just let your whole credit implode, right? That's going to keep your credit score higher for longer. I've actually seen people that filed bankruptcy recently, and their credit score is mid-600s, low-700s. How could that be? Because it was a very isolated 
scenario where only a couple accounts were behind that caused the problem. Folks, you're listening to Mortgage Matters Radio Show and the Connecticut Real Estate Edge Podcast. You can contact Rob at 860-413-3938. I'll repeat that, give you a website, give you a... Uh, and even, as well as an email address in just a few minutes. I don't provide. Give us some tips. What are some tips on rebuilding some credit after experiencing these? Yeah, things? I got some great tips for you good, here. Good. Number one is going to be setting up automatic payments, auto pay. You know, some people that don't have a lot of money in the bank, they get scared with this. But if you're coming out of a credit event, you need auto pay. It's your guaranteed way to make sure that that credit continues building because just one late payment, 30 days late after one of these credit events can completely derail everything that we're doing here to rebuild. Right, have the money in the bank to do that. You've got to do the automatic payments. So be disciplined. If you're not going to do the automatic payments, set up like a very detailed budget or use an online budgeting tool to make sure every payment is is, uh, right on time when it should be and the amount it should be. The next one's going to be keeping credit utilization low. So if you're someone that still has credit cards or is lucky enough to be able to get a credit card shortly after your credit event, be responsible with it, right? That's uh, It goes sure. without saying, but keep the utilization low. So a big problem I see, especially with people that are starting their journey in credit, is they'll get a $500 credit card and they're like, oh, my balance is 500 like that. They just want to use everything on there. $2,000 credit card, oh, that's $2,000 I can spend. And they'll max that out. Worst thing you can do, especially when recovering from a credit event. So keep those credit utilizations as low as possible. Ideally, I know it sounds crazy, but you want to keep them below 10% of the limit. So if it's a $1,000 limit, keep that balance below $100. That's ideal. Secured credit lines, authorized user accounts, get people to add you on to those good authorized user accounts. That can help. And last thing is avoid large amounts of new debt. Three to two to four max. Don't go crazy on it. Just two to four max. So in other words, you're saying financial stability is key here. Financial stability and showing that you know how to rebuild yourself. You had those previous problems. We drew a line in the sand. Now, what have you done since then? That's what it's all about. Any any exceptions or maybe some special considerations for certain circumstances? Like, for example, you were talking a little while ago about medical emergencies or, or job loss or, you know, yeah. There are. I mean, a lot of these credit events, they don't just happen where you wake up one day, like I said early in the show, and it happens. These build over time, right? A foreclosure doesn't happen in one month. It takes many, many months of being behind on your mortgage, right? A bankruptcy, same thing. It it takes a long time to actually go through the process. So when you have that scenario and there's a problem that's occurred, like a job loss, medical emergency, anything, what has caused that is the most important thing that you communicate with your mortgage lender, with your processor, whoever you're working with. Because if you're able to communicate that, we can put a very detailed letter of explanation together up front to explain why this happened and also explain what um, what tips that you've taken or what items that you've handled since that to get back on track financially. Okay, so that's really important. And give documentation. If you were out of work because of a car accident, we, we're going to have to see like medical bills or hospital bills or something, a police report. The more documentation that we can show, the more it's going to tell that story. Underwriters are human as of today. They might not be 10 <laughs> years from now, but they are human as of now. They do have emotions and setting the stage with a really strong letter and documentation. A lot of times it can push you over the edge and pull those heartstrings to get you that mortgage that you've been dreaming of. 
All valuable information, folks. You've been listening to Mortgage Matters Radio Show and the Connecticut Real Estate Edge Podcast. Folks, if you'd like to make an appointment with Rob Weinberg, very easy to do. Simply jot this number down and give him a buzz at 860-413-3938. Let me repeat that for you. 860-413-3938. Write it down. Call him first thing Monday. You can also email him, by the way, mortgagemattersradioshow at gmail.com. If you want to check him out on the World Wide Web, that's also easy to do. In fact, I usually start there. www.robgw.com. Again, robgw.com. For Rob Weinberg, I'm Gary Byron. Thank you so much for listening to Mortgage Matters Radio Show and the Connecticut Real Estate Edge Podcast. Until next Saturday morning, have a good one, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you have questions about the information we've covered or would like to discuss mortgage financing for your situation, you can reach Robert Weinberg by visiting www.robgw.com.